Would Terra Nova live or die? That was the ongoing question last week in the provincial news. Then the announcement, hooray, the owners would put the rusty rig back in production. It was as if a young child had been rescued from a burning building. A happy ending. A province sighed in relief. Then the Petra news got even better with the announcement that the Norwegian oil company Equinor would continue with the Bay du Nord project. This week, more on Bay du Nord, the offshore oil development that will be built in part on ecosystems so vulnerable it's closed to fishing. Too delegate for fishing, okay for oil drilling. This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer, mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Will on. desperate provincial government grasps at financial straws and ignores environmental consequences. Which brings us to the Bay du Nord news. 300 million barrels of offshore oil waiting to be drilled and burned as carbon-producing fossil fuels. This at a time when the International Energy Agency, of which Canada is a member, has called for no more approvals of new oil and gas fields such as Bay du Nord. When Bay du Nord went to environmental review, there were lots of concerns from interveners, including from the World Wildlife Fund Canada. Financial viability, danger of blowouts, and impact on vulnerable marine ecosystems. Sigrid Kunemund is a vice president of WWF Canada. We reached her in St. John's. We want operations to be conducted as safely as possible with the lowest risk to the environment. And we also want to ensure that the rules governing offshore oil and gas are consistent with international best practices for safety and accountability and environmental protection. And in the case of the Beta Nord environmental assessment, we found many deficiencies Um, many assumptions about the economic viability of the project that uh, weren't quite um, backed up in terms of uh, um, estimates of um, potential production levels, uh, estimates or an assessment of the climate risk of the project, and a real assessment of um, how the project is considered to be a low carbon emissions project. Mm. And so for example on the, on the uh, on the feasibility they're assuming that uh, oil is going to be at 50 bucks uh, US a barrel forever not taking into account that you know sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. Yeah and um, in Newfoundland and Labrador and living here we are at the <clears throat> we are at risk uh, to this uh, industry, uh, the oil and gas industry is risky. Um, there are many changes on the horizon, technological changes and market changes. And uh, we have, of course, a climate crisis and 
political changes. So um, the assumptions around the uh, cost per barrel and the assumption of, of what projects are considered to be economically viable in future is, is still uh, certainly uh, up for debate and, and, and highly uncertain. Another point you make in your submissions is that it's almost like they're assuming Canada is not going to meet its, uh, its commitments under the Paris Accord. All the countries in the world have, you know, they've made their made a solemn promise that we're, they're going to deal with, uh, with emissions. And it would be very hard for Canada to meet its commitments, and Newfoundland in particular, if Beta Nord were to go ahead. Notwithstanding that they say, oh, this is going to be clean oil and all that. Uh, in your in your view of the situation, you're you're very skeptical that we could uh, a have Beta Nord going full tilt and meet our our commitments. Yeah, and Canada has made uh, commitments for. Um, a, a net zero carbon future by 2050 and has also made significant greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, commitments. And in order to keep to those commitments, change has to happen now. We can't wait until 2030 to start um, turning the ship around in terms of uh, looking at how to um, reduce our uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And for the Beta Nord project in particular, it will contribute significantly to Newfoundland and Labrador's uh, GHG emissions footprint and uh, will steer the province uh, further away from its ability to reach uh, provincial climate targets and, and also contributing to the federal government's climate targets. Now, your, um, your report is, um, you know, is somewhat uh, shocking in some ways in terms of, uh, of the, what the risk is and, uh, and, where, and where exactly this uh, Beta Nord development would, uh, would be located. But in terms of the risk, one, is, one of the things you talk about is the blowout risk. And of course, we know from the news that all over the world where there's offshore oil development, uh, blowouts uh, take place. And here, uh, I guess we have the, the riskiest of conditions because we have deep water, uh, we're far from shore, um, a lot of storms out there. It's the it's risky terrain where um, you know it might be that uh, blow at risk is is higher in these conditions. The Newfoundland and Labrador offshore is a uh, very um, risky environment to operate in, and uh, looking at uh, you know extreme weather conditions and deep waters, it does certainly increase that probability of a blowout, and. Um, in those, this Beta Nord assessment, um, what we are looking for uh, from the regulatory regime and from Equinor is that they mitigate that risk by having uh, equipment on site to be able to uh, cap any blowout so that there's no um, you know, period of time where the the well is uh, just leaking oil. So uh, we want to have uh, stacking caps in place uh, and available on site so that in the chance of a blowout, um, you'd be able to uh, quickly mitigate that, uh, that blowout and get it under control. 
But they, uh, what they want is that they want to bring one over from Norway. Uh, so there's not going to be any uh, capping stack on site. So it would take, uh, according to report, 18 to 36 days to for that to arrive from, from Norway. And if they have to drill a relief well, that would be 100 to 115 days. So we could have a situation and, you know, for 115 days, water is just like flowing out of this uh, of this well and uh, with, uh, of course, catastrophic consequences. You know, that's pretty scary for for anyone to look at. Yeah, absolutely scary. And with our existing um, production um, platforms in place, we've seen uh, over the last number of years, several spills and several accidents, which uh, is definitely cause for concern uh, when you put another um, production project into that mix. Now let's uh, let's talk about the marine environment. The Bay de Nord development area would be close to, and in some cases overlapping with vulnerable marine ecosystems, VMEs. Uh, first of all, tell us, uh, tell listeners what uh, what is a, a VME, a vulnerable marine ecosystem? Well, a vulnerable marine ecosystem is a designation under uh, the NAFO Convention and uh, NAFO uh, regulating fisheries in this area outside uh, national jurisdiction has um, uh, a structure in place to conserve and protect areas that are considered to be um, ecologically significant, uh, unique or sensitive to environmental disturbance. And in this case, the vulnerable marine ecosystems are for cold water corals and sponges and sea pens. And these um, um, corals and, and sea pens are important for uh, providing a structure and function on the seafloor. Uh, and they're important to many other marine species and are also very uh, sensitive to impacts. They're uh, slow growing, long lived species. And um, there's only a few areas in the offshore that offers the habitat conditions for these um, species to grow. So those are the um, VMEs, the Vulnerable Marine Ecosystems which um, are, will, with the project will overlap. And you mentioned uh, NAFA, which I think is the North Atlantic Fisheries Organization, which is a, a kind of um, international um, organization. And some of these VMEs are closed to fishing because they are so sensitive. So here it is that we've closed them to fishing, but we're going to allow oil drilling on these locations that are too vulnerable to tolerate fishing. That sounds a little odd. Yeah, no, that's definitely something we've uh, brought forward consistently is in terms of uh, the, um, the parity in how the government is treating <clears throat> the oil and gas industry in relation to other industries like, uh, like fishing. And we feel that uh, the areas are sensitive, they're ecologically significant, they are protected under NAFO from the impacts of uh, bottom contact fishing. And those areas should also be protected 
from other bottom impacts, uh, like those impacts from oil and gas exploration and development. You're listening to Mi'kmaq Matters. Our guest this week is Sigrid Kunimant of the World Wildlife Fund Canada. She says the best face is put on the economic viability of the proposed Betonord offshore development, while the environmental risk is played down. One of her concerns is the impact of seismic testing, which produces sound waves that can be heard 4,000 kilometers from source and cause harm to whales and other mammals. There are more modern techniques uh, which involve a, um, a ship which tows an array of hydrophones and it emits a, a pulse of sound uh, into the ocean, which uh, reflects back from the seafloor and is that sound is captured uh, by the hydrophones. But the uh, frequency and the sound level, um, as you mentioned, can travel thousands of kilometers. And the impacts of seismic are, um, uh, depending on species and location, uh, there are significant data gaps. And so there are safer alternatives to seismic testing. So what WWF Canada recommends is that in areas, especially that are sensitive and significant and have a rich diversity of species, species at risk, that seismic surveys should be removed from those areas. And where possible, um, a lower sound level, the source should be um, reduced to uh, quiet the noise. And also uh, we should be looking at alternatives to seismic like um, marine vibrosis, which drastically cuts that noise level and limits the, the frequencies and, and that noise output that is so damaging to many marine species and um, especially marine mammals. You're in the St. John's area and um, you know, no doubt uh, you've run into people who are so happy that uh, and there's been this news about Terra Nova, now Beto Nord. What's it like for you being a defender of of the environment and being a voice of caution? Is it uh, is it a bit of a, a slog sometimes? It, it can certainly be a uh, balancing act for sure. Um, there's there's a strong petrol culture here in St. John's and um, a lot of um, families are supported by the oil and gas industry. And when we have announcements where um, projects are, um, you know, going off the rails and, um, you know, a, a week ago, there were many families concerned and worried about their future with the um, a decision to be made about the Terra Nova project. And, um, you know, nobody, I don't uh, envy those families who are uncertain about their future. And I, um, I know how important uh, that, you know, funding is um, the oil and gas industry has been in the past uh, as an economic generator in this province. Um, what I see, however, is that um, the future for oil and gas is not as bright as what, is, as what it once has been. And we have a changing um, economic conditions, 
changing market conditions. And uh, we have a time now where renewable energies are as economically viable and technologically viable as oil and gas uh, opportunities. So um, we would like to see that instead of offering subsidies to a uh, dying oil and gas industry, that the province could look at how that money could be used to pivot to uh, renewable energies. And there's certainly the labor force, the skill force, here, the, the skills here in Newfoundland and Labrador that has been developed as a result of the oil and gas industry could easily transition uh, to renewables. And we would certainly like to see that shift. Sigrid Kuhnemann is Vice President of Wildlife and Industry for WWF Canada. that's it for episode 184. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.